Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Tom Wells here. Today is Monday, August the 27th, 2018, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, your first daily dose of happy, not just for the day, but for the week. And we hope you had a great weekend. I know I had one. Louise and I went up to Vermont on Sunday to visit friends at Mount Snow, Vermont, and just had a beautiful time. It was just gorgeous. Great to be out in the beautiful outdoors, breathe the fresh air. Nice, comfortable temperatures, had a great lunch, had a good talk with friends. I mean, what more could you ask? It was wonderful. I loved it. Yeah, it was good stuff. How about you? Did you have a good weekend, Tom? Yeah, it was three great days. I um, spent all the time with my uh, partner, Sheila, and uh, we're getting closer. And so there was a lot of deepening of that relationship. And that felt really good to realize that I could let go to that and just, um, you know, kind of more of falling in love, you might say, or allowing of love to uh, be there for me. It felt really, uh, really magical. Very good. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. When things come together, it always feels good, which is important because feeling good is what it's all about, right? That's that's being in alignment. You want to be in alignment so you can get all the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a quite an interesting game when it comes to loving another person, at least for me. Because it doesn't just fall together and it hasn't fallen together just like some ideal um, imagination of nothing but ease. You know, It actually falls together through a little bit of ups and downs and ins and outs. So I shouldn't say that. But anyway, lots of ups and downs. And <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 no matter well, how I say it, I'm in trouble here. Well, but well, um, What we will say is you've been through a lot, that's for sure, because yes. uh, you know we know that just from all the, the topics we've discussed related to relationships over the last couple of weeks. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can watch my evolution there. That's right. Yeah. Well, hey, that's what uh, I, I learned from one of our listeners when Louise and I met him a few months ago. He says, I know everything about you. And I realized, yeah, he probably did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, my friend, was, my partner was saying to me. She says, well, if anybody wants to know, you know, what's going on in your life, they just tune in for this week's sitcom. Pretty much. Yeah. Soap opera. The soap you know? opera. <laughs> but um, I try to say little actually about her. You know, yeah. She doesn't want me to talk about her. But I. But I am trying, but I am talking about what's evolving in my life. And half of the time lately, it involves my relationship. Well, ultimately, anything that we're talking about is about you. And just as anything that I'm talking yeah. about is really about me, ultimately. Right. I mean, it's not really about somebody else. It's not about no. cattling or something like that. It's about, mm -hmm. you know, what, what changes do I need to make? How am I doing? What progress am I making? How mindful am I? How well am I med meditating? It's all about, it's me, 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 me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it seems to be the topic of my life. <laughs> me, 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 me. But, um, me, 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 me. So, you know, I like, a good to, thing. I like to care about others. Uh, and I do. Absolutely. But um, if I'm not, I'm not balanced in a line, then I can, don't have much to really give anybody else. That is the truth. That is really the truth. And it's the focus of the topic. I mean, the topic today, fully mm -hmm. loving and fully living. Really, one goes with the other. If you aren't fully loving, if I'm not fully loving, particularly of myself, mm -hmm. I'm not fully living. It took me a long time to learn that one, but uh, mm -hmm. it really is true. The more that I am loving of myself, not to mention loving of others, and, and that's certainly almost equally as important, the, the degree to which I'm doing those things is the degree to which I'm living better and having better life and enjoying life better and simultaneously attracting more of the stuff that I want. 
Mm-hmm. And it, it's a it's a formula that each of us has to discover on our own, obviously. But mm. um, I'm finding that it's you know it's reminded me of the poem by Cahil Gibran in the Prophet. Uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Prophet, mm. but um, it's you know a series of uh, of writings that Cahil Gibran, this poet from uh, the Middle East, I guess I'm not sure which country, Iran or Iraq or somewhere he was from. Um, and each one of them is the telling of this prophet who was speaking to the people um, when he arrives on this ship. And um, and as they gather around to listen to him speak, he talks about love and marriage and children and eating and drinking and work and joy and sorrow and all these different topics, you know, buying and selling, crime and punishment, reason and passion. And I always remembered that the one he where he talks about love and I listened to this. I had it back in the day on a cassette tape and I listened to it over and over back in the days of cassette tapes. When I would drive on these long drives, I would make for my business. And uh, you know, the distances out here in the West are so huge that driving from Colorado to Utah to Idaho and back again, could take, you know, eight hours, 12 hour drive. Oh, easily. Yeah. And I would listen to this Cahil Gibran, the prophet, a lot, and it always it always moved me so deeply. I thought it was so beautiful. And um, anymore, when I try to read it, it's doesn't it's not quite the same to me, because let's read it from the point of view of law of attraction work. Um, it seems like he's he's also, I don't know, just promoting the both sides of the coin so much that it's a little bit. You know, sometimes people, I think, when they speak or they write, they they communicate to me like a pretty heavy dose of uh, suffering, mm. and uh, and I'd have a hard time believing that that much suffering is necessary. <laughs> I agree with you. I understand sometimes that. Sometimes it happens. You know yeah. What I mean, yeah, yeah. But he says on love, he says, um, if in your fear, if you're if you're too afraid, and and all you seek is love's peace and love's pleasure. He says, then it's better for you to cover your nakedness and pass out of love's threshing floor into the seasonless world where you shall laugh, but not all of your laughter and weep, but not all of your tears. And I remember when I read that, it was confronting to me and would hear that because I would think, God, I don't I don't want to be so afraid of uh, of of not always being peaceful and not always being in pleasure that I that I don't. I'm not able to experience the depth of what it means to fully love and fully live. I want to know what it means to fully love and fully live, even if I have to uh, sometimes feel grief. You know, I don't, I don't want to not, not love a woman, for example, so deeply that I'm, I'm ever, not ever going to really be committed to her um, in the, in the way that I'm vulnerable. And so, uh, I noticed that in the two main relationships I had in my adult life that I didn't let myself, I think, really love the way I could have. I thought I was. Hmm. (laughs) Um, And I definitely experienced, um, you know, being thrashed by love, you know, in the sense of like, uh, you know, when you completely commit yourself, then you can feel vulnerable Hmm. with the person to whatever their ups and downs are and your ups and downs if you're not in that place where you understand how to maintain your alignment uh in a in a relationship and um so i was thinking about that a lot over this weekend because being in 
an, this new relationship, it feels like I'm always being asked to be more present and more clear about, um, you know, am I really there? Am I, or am I constantly keeping the door open to my fleeing the relationship to my, you know, like keep this wide open door that says, well, I could leave it anytime I want. And uh, I have, I could come up with plenty of good reasons why I could, you know, decide that this isn't going to work out and I need to continue to look for somebody that's, you know, more akin to who I am. And, you know, this isn't the right situation for me. And I gave it my best shot and now I got to (laughs) go. And I've had that. I always keep that option open for myself. And this weekend it was a lot of closing of that option Mm. and saying to myself and to her, you know, I'm not, okay, I'm, I'm, you're, I'm somebody you can count on a lot more than you could last week, you know, in the week before. Okay. Well, I, I have to so, admit, I, di- I didn't know much about Gibran. I looked him up and he's actually Lebanese American. He was from Lebanon, Lebanese. but uh, you had the, you had the Middle East, right. And I, yeah. I can't say I've read his writings in any great detail. Oh. I think I've heard of him. That's about it. Oh, but he's, I, he's very famous. But, but I also would agree that there are a lot of writers. I would say the vast majority of writers who write anything philosophical or spiritual, who write primarily from a negative perspective with some positive built in, which always mm. frustrated me because, mm. I mean, I understand, I think I've understood for the longest time how important it is to focus on positives. Um, I kind of forgot about it for a large chunk of my life, but you know, I think I always knew it to, you know, to some degree, even if it was subconsciously. But when you get to the point where you say, okay, I'm really going to start doing this, and then you look around to see who's out there, it's pretty slim pickings. <laughs> I mean, not just Gibran, just like almost any major author you can think of going back over the centuries is heavily oriented toward the negative. So mm. it's, it's, it's not just Gibran. It's, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of them who have good things to say. It's not like there's no good things to say. Uh, it's just that there's a heavy negativity. Now, and this is understandable. I mean, we, in Abraham terms, we are in a world of contrast. We come here deliberately to experience the contrast. And experiencing the contrast means sometimes you're not going to enjoy it. But that's all right, because it's not like you have to enjoy all of it all the time. It's about coming here and deciding, well, yes, I like that, but I don't like that. No more of that, thank you. Yes, more of that, thank you. Mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. And also finding ways to look at and and experience and understand the stuff that I don't like so that I can pivot it around. And Okay, well, I really don't like it when someone throws a snowball on my face, but I sure do like it, you know, when I get to go out and play in the snow with that person just as long as they're not throwing a snowball on my face, you know, so mm-hmm. finding the good side to the thing. Um, yeah. that That's really what I think life is about is, is finding the good side to as many things as we can. So, you know, to whatever extent any author helps us to do that, that's great. But I think it's even more important that we're just doing it in our lives. That's what you're doing. You're, you're finding where the positives are in this relationship that you're in. And in so doing, you're getting to the point now where you're feeling more comfortable in, you know, committing to the relationship. Yeah. And it is the way we talk to ourselves and everything that really has an influence. And how much we've dealt, I feel for myself, how much I've dealt with the things inside myself that would cause me to want to stay so safe, you know, Mm -hmm. the fears of not wanting to be exposed. And as this Cahill Cabron says, you know, you're, you're naked on the threshing floor and love, love wants to, uh, you know, make you into bread and bake you in the oven and serve you to, to the divine. You know, it's like it love, love wants you to be transformed um, from 
you know, who you think you want to stay as into something that's actually much more beautiful in a way and maybe more, more loving your heart, more open, you're, you're more, um, you know, a kind of person who, when your people are around you, you feel, they feel that that guy is really got a beautiful heart. That guy is really open. He's loving. He's kind. He's, but he's vulnerable. He's, he's honest. He's authentic. You know, these are the kind of things I aspire to. But when I find that I'm holding on to some deeper fears that always keep me, you know, somewhat insulated and isolated from, from the level of intimacy that I really want with people. That's, that's the stuff I want to look at and ask myself, well, okay, so what's this fear doing to me? Mm. Um, and even to know what the fear is, you know, sometimes you don't even recognize, you just think, oh, I'm doing the best I can. And I've been saying that for years, but I think when I make myself available, like in this relationship, then I'm a lot more, um, I'm vulnerable, but I'm more, I've got to be more honest with myself, you know, what, and I find myself so many times I've said, would I rather stay here at my friend's house, you know, this weekend, or would I rather go home um, and take a break? And, and I'm starting to ask myself that and finding that I'd rather stay with her for the sense of just the, and that's, that's about a level of comfort, but it feels better to actually be with her than it does be fleeing back to my place because there's nothing really at my place that I'm really longing for. I'm, I'm more content with her. And that's a good sign. Yeah, you're finding the better feeling thought. I'm finding the better feeling thought. I'm finding the better feeling mm. just inside my body. And, and I'm really asking my, and I'm really just somehow making a transition um, to where I, I find a way to be with her that, that I don't have to keep that fear alive. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what, that's what matters. And so living fully, living freely, fully loving, fully living. That's why I asked that question. Um, she had, my friend had asked me that question over the weekend. She said, she said, what do you believe um, you could do to live more, to love more fully? And so I thought that was an interesting question. I've been sort of pondering it, you know, like, what can I do to love more fully and to live more fully? And What do you think so is involved with that too? I mean, that to, to me, that's the more primal question. You know, what is it mm-hmm. to live fully? What does that mean? Yeah. I mean, there are well, lots of ways you can, you can approach that question, but for me, it's yeah. about um, how fully do I interact with source energy? Because mm-hmm. source energy really is love and love is source energy. So mm-hmm. when I look at it and understand it that way, now I'm looking at it in the context of, okay, I have a relationship with Louise, but I also have a relationship with Source Energy because that's where I come from. How do those two work together? And mm-hmm. it actually turns out they work together quite well and quite consistently. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they've held together really nicely for the first 20 years of our relationship. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, it's but a, it's a lot thing. of it is, has been, wouldn't you say that, would you say that the fullness that you've achieved in your relationship, a lot of it has come by you being vulnerable in that relationship or being? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't really like the phrase being vulnerable. I understand what they mean by it. Yeah. I, I, I think that there's a an unnecessary negative context that gets included in there. Because mm-hmm. when we talk about vulnerable, what we're really saying 
in most of those contexts is vulnerable to being hurt. And mm -hmm. I don't think there's any great virtue in being vulnerable to being hurt. Right. I think there, I think there's a lot of virtue in opening up. And I mm -hmm. think I, I, I prefer to express it that way, you know, opening and, and being more, um, available. I like the word available, being emotionally available. I think that's a good mm -hmm. one. Um, mm -hmm. in fact, if I remember correctly, that was the phrase my wife used when she was looking for me, <laughs> mm. um, back when she was, she had, uh, this was, uh, let's see, this was, uh, November, 2000, I'm sorry, November, 1997 and her cat of 16 years died. And then six months later, she met me. And during that period, uh, she was deliberately going out of her way to find somebody and asking specifically, do you know any emotionally available men, any men with mm -hmm. healthy emotional uh, makeup, mm -hmm. which when she told me that and she had found me, I thought to myself, wow, do I really, <laughs> do I really have that? I don't know. And, and I came mm -hmm. to the conclusion that I did, but um, nevertheless, it, it was a bit of an eye opener because it provided a positive way to express what was so often expressed negatively. Not that she was looking for somebody vulnerable. She was looking for somebody who was emotionally available and emotionally, emotionally available is a different feeling to it. You know? Oh, it's totally. Yeah. Completely yeah. Different I, I, I think I was using that vulnerable word just because it's in the lexicon, you know, it's out there. Oh yeah. That's the one that everybody um, uses. Yeah. Very common. Yeah. And, right. and actually there's been some work by, was it Brene Brown, uh, Brown uh, who talks about, being vulnerable and she went, went made quite a big splash on the TEDx talks um, TED talks as her talk on vulnerability was a was a huge uh, paradigm shift that was occurred in the society American society of, in the over the last number of years because she's written books on vulnerability and so she approaches it if you read her stuff you know she's just trying to say you know like how how do you no longer be caught up in you're constantly taking score, um, evaluating, being critical, being shamed, um, being in blame, either feeling you're to blame or she or your partner's to blame. Um, and so she, I think from what I remember reading that book, it was quite been quite a while now, but she was addressing those kind of questions, but, but lumping it under vulnerability, mm. um, you know, of, are you, are you willing to feel, to hold the tension of the fact that you feel shame, but you don't necessarily have to um, make somebody else wrong because you feel shamed or you you might feel critical, but you don't have to express that critical thing to the other person. You can own it. The fact that that's a projection of yours and, and take it to heart and, and actually not have to make the other person feel bad that you've uh, decided to judge them, you know, mm -hmm. um, and self-righteously decided to judge them. So the vulnerability is you, um, you learn to own. So you learn to own your stuff and not be a victim of, of anything, you know, as much as you can help not feeling like you're victimized and therefore you have to defend yourself and stay safe and protect yourself. So you're really responding out of fear rather than out of um, the faith that love the faith that there is something like love and the faith that there is a, a source, a higher source who's orchestrating your life. And that's a huge part of it uh, for me, you know, just believing and knowing and accepting the fact that um, everything that I want is in my vortex. And no matter who I'm with in any situation I'm going through, 
there's something greater that is orchestrating things. And my, my need to protect myself as if I was a lonely actor out here on this stage of life is not really appropriate all the time to be in that protective mode. So that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking at in my life about living fully is just, just where am I? Um, even in my work with clients and my work with my coaching business and allowing money into my life, I mean, whatever it is, it's like, where, where am I being so protective that it's literally constricting the flow of love to me, the flow of abundance, the flow of beauty, uh, whatever it is that I want more of in my life that would make my life feel like I was living fully and I was loving fully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I agree. That's, that's very important. And I would even take it a step further and say that very often whenever people try to address the topic, kind of along the lines of what the, the author you cited um, did, mm -hmm. we, we tended to, as we do with so many things, we tend to come at it negatively. We, we come from the negative perspective. And here are all the things I'm doing wrong, and here are all the things that are keeping me from what I want and so forth. It's understandable. I mean, we live in contrast. Um, what I think we want to go after, though, is we need to be finding more and more ways to think and live positively. And mm -hmm. by living positively, I mean taking those phrasings that we come up with, taking those ideas that we come up with that we express in negative terms and flipping them around to their positive equivalents. Mm. Because when we do that, I think we change our mindset. Give you an example. Um, you mentioned the higher self, which is a very, very common concept and one that virtually everybody I know in law of attraction circles uses and believes in. Mm -hmm. And yet I resist that one. Not because the I think there's not not because mm -hmm. I think that there's anything wrong with the, the other part of me or anything like that, but rather I just don't like thinking about it as the higher self. I don't like I don't like the label. And the mm -hmm. reason I don't like the label is because, I mean, my understanding of the higher self is it's higher because um, the rest of me in the non-physical world is vibrating at, at higher rates. The low vibrations all happen here in the physical world. But mm -hmm. there's also a little bit of a better than, worse than thing. So if you're in the non-physical world, you're vibrating higher, therefore you're in a better than place. Mm -hmm. whereas, whereas if you're in the physical world and you're vibrating lower, you're in a less than place. Mm -hmm. and, and, yeah. and that to me goes, goes against the grain because if I really want to flip that around, if I really want to turn that into a positive, I have to express it as, you know what? In my physical life, I'm aiming to vibrate higher. I don't want mm -hmm. to be thinking of myself as a lower energy being because I'm in the physical world because all that's going to do is reinforce for me that I'm a lower energy being. It's you know? true. Yeah. So I resist the idea of calling the, my non-physical side my higher self. Instead, I uh -huh. refer to it as my non-physical being or the rest of me or the other part of me. I don't, uh -huh. I don't put it above me, vibrationally speaking, because okay. the moment that I put it above myself, vibrationally speaking, is the moment I'm putting myself lower, vibrationally speaking. That's okay. really good. Mm -hmm. So what do you, you call it? You know, my, my uh, non-physical being. Yeah. I, I, I've been playing around with uh, the rest of me. I like that just kind of, you know, colloquially, because it's just kind of a yeah. fun way to say it. No, you know, it's the rest of me. Um, or sometimes <laughs> I, I think of it as inner being, or um, sometimes I think of it as uh, the the other part, you know, the part that I don't see, the part of me that is is playing a major role in life, but I just don't see that part of me. 
but I, I, I try to always keep it on an equivalent footing in the way that I express it. The, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the way I express it may vary from you know show to show, from conversation to conversation, but I'm always trying to think of it in terms of me in my physical being equivalent to me in my non-physical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. That's now, good that bit. doesn't mean that there's not a lot of power in the non-physical side of me. There is. There's plenty of power. Uh-huh. There's lots mm-hmm. and lots of it. I just don't want to make it a, such a distinction that the only part of me that has access to all that power is the non-physical. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, interesting. Um, higher does imply lower. I use higher, yeah, higher source self a lot, and in, in, I always do feel funny when I say higher because there really isn't even a uh, up and a down here. Right. You know, there's no, uh, you know, but yes, it does imply that there's a, a more a greater wisdom there, a greater knowing, a greater everything, you know, like, and, and that goes all the way back to my Catholic upbringing where you're taught oh, in, yeah. the, in the early cate- catechism classes, they're called, you know, you're taught that um, God is all seeing, all knowing, all, mm-hmm. you know, is everywhere. And you just get such a dose of, what God is that, um, you know, you, you're just then left as pretty miserable little creature down here, down here, you know, um, on yeah, help, the earth, helpless is know. the word that I think of the helpless victim. Helpless. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that. And compared, and then of course, then they, they lay the guilt on by saying, you know, God is actually watching you and judging you constantly, you know, sure and to help you, ensure that you're a helpless victim. <laughs> you're really going to get judged later. Absolutely. On. Yeah. Let's you just know, lay it on that, thick. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. So you better do what the church says, you know, because the church has got its its hierarchy figured out here. And <laughs> they've been getting bennies off that for a long time. But, um, well, yeah. And, so, and I'll, I'll make a comment. I, we normally don't talk about uh, political issues per se, but no. I'm going to make one comment about a political issue because it's, it's big in the news lately. And that is the uh, child abuse, the mm-hmm. uh, sexual abuse uh, allegations that keep coming out about uh, higher level church uh, officers, if you will, you know, bishops and archbishops and cardinals and all this other kind of thing, or just regular priests sometimes. And I, I think I the comment I want to make is that as bad as all that is, and it's certainly bad, there's actually a healthy thing going on here. The healthy thing is that it's coming out. Oh, yeah. And in the process of it coming out, it is also shifting the public perception about that hierarchy. So mm-hmm. that we are basically setting ourselves up to be in a better place where we no longer allow ourselves to feel like victims mm. as established by that church hierarchy. And that's a good thing that basically yeah, yeah. we're breaking the mold, so to speak. We're breaking out of that that little prison that we put ourselves in with uh, the direction of the, the higher level prelates. You know, we're just saying, you know, that that just that model just doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And we're doing that by by many people are speaking out, getting angry, saying, you know, how horrible what the church is doing. We're doing it in a lot of ways. But I think there's a wide swath of humanity that is shifting their thinking because of that situation. Now, the situation is clearly mm-hmm. terrible, but mm-hmm. the results coming out of it could be good. And, and that's part of the art of finding positives, silver linings in negative situations is noticing, you know what, as bad as all that is, my God, at least maybe this is leading to some positive change in the way we think about ourselves in relationship to the world of spirit. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's empowering um, to not have a uh, 
especially when you start thinking of a priest as a someone who also has clay feet, you know, also lives on the yeah. earth and right. and also is is prone to all the same um desires and everything that somebody who who's not elevated into the status of um, you know, being ordained by this special sacrament into right. this position because i i remember growing up for me in a catholic family how sort of disillusioned and angry i felt that my mother bought in hook line and sinker to the idea that a priest or an md who was sanctioned by the american medical association was those were were figures in her life that were to be believed and and honored and sort of you she would sit at their feet you know like if a doctor said it it was right, you know, um, if uh, any other kind of practitioner would have said something, you know, I remember her explaining to me the difference between a quack and a real doctor. And But what a real doctor was then was only somebody sanctioned by the American Medical Association who practiced allopathic medicine, mm-hmm. which is completely now just understood a lot more by a lot of people as that's a niche of of uh, the healing, so-called healing professions. So mm-hmm. that's a person who chose to use those particular methods, which are highly questioned now by all kinds of alternative practitioners as uh, is that always the most effective method to use and the same in the hierarchy of the church you know like uh, this idea that there's these special inner people who intercede to god you know who stand between us and god like a guru or something you know who if we listen to them you know we're going to be okay and everything you know you can just totally trust that channel and now it's, yeah, this brings those things into question. So yeah. everything is coming back to personal empowerment. And that's, to me, that's how you can live fully and you can love fully is when you, when you own fully the fact that it's, it's um in your own chest, in your own heart, you know, <laughs> you have the ability to feel your connection to who you really are and to know that connection and to nurture that connection through better feeling thoughts and through understanding, um, you know, what is it to be surrendered to how life is unfolding in a beautiful way for us. But yeah, I guess I still believe in a hierarchy though, because I believe that there is some kind of a source self that, um, that is unfolding everything for me. I'm an actor, but, but I'm also a recipient of something beautiful. And um, that's been a lot of my, my struggle with this relationship I've been in is that I've been coming more and more to, to understand that maybe I've been handed an incredible gift here and the things that I don't like about the relationship, I could hold more lightly and I could be less judgmental and critical about those things and recognize they're my own projections. And that if I work on those things that I could have a fuller love, I could have a fuller life because yeah. I won't be constantly isolating myself from things that scare me. You know? Yeah, sure. I mean, because these hierarchies, they they are pretty heavily indoctrinated into us, right? We're, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're very heavily indoctrinated by them. So expecting them to just go away is unrealistic, I think. And it's certainly mm-hmm. not the experience of most people that most people don't just reach a point where they say, well, the hierarchy doesn't work. I reject it. I'm throwing it out the window. No, it's more like a transitional thing. So really, once again, the Abraham thought, I think, is the most important one, which is, are you finding more and more better feeling thoughts? 
And I think that's what the process is where, uh, you know, where religious hierarchy is concerned. You know, okay, well, I don't, there are parts of this I really don't accept anymore. So I I am putting those aside and and replacing them with other ways of thinking about it in terms of me being empowered. Well, that's progress. Even if the, the hierarchy hasn't gone away in your head, you've still made progress. And if you keep doing that over time, eventually the hierarchy goes away. It may take some time, but it eventually goes away. I call that self-empowerment. And mm-hmm. and to me, self-empowerment really is about letting go of the structures that we learned as young people from the adults who were trying their best to give us, you know, the, the clearest way of understanding how the world really is, how it really turns, you know, what what is, right? It's all about the what is. And and turning that stuff on its ear over time in ways that we can handle, in ways that we can grow within and and feel good making the transition. Because if we do, then the transition gets made. The hierarchy does get upset. The old ways of thinking do get released, and we end up with a happier life. That, that to me, is the route to a fulfilling life, is letting go of all that stuff. For you, that's living more fully and living more freely. Yeah, because the more that I let go of all that stuff, the more that I just am able to embrace the parts that are great because there's so much good stuff in life and it's Mm -hmm. about embracing that stuff. Well, the only thing that holds me back, Abraham teaches us pretty clearly. The only thing that holds us back from the things that we want is our own level of resistance. And that resistance is stuff that we absorb earlier on in our lives. It isn't what we're born Mm -hmm. with. It's just what we absorb during our lifetime. So how much Mm -hmm. of that can we let go of? The degree to Mm -hmm. which we let go, that's the degree to which our lives become fuller, more satisfying, more wonderful, more exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've noticed a lot that I can, this whole idea of the way that I talk about things, which is the telling of a better feeling story, has a lot to do with um, what I allow then to unfold, because I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned from the Abraham type of work is the law of attraction work is how are you, how am I framing this thing in the way I'm talking to myself about mm. it? Um, and uh I do, I find myself in a way doing that constantly in this relationship I'm in. I'm I'm finding ways to talk to myself that take me off the ledge of the you know the fear. You're talking of, yourself uh, down. That's good. You're talking, talking yourself off the ledge. Down. <laughs> right. Yeah. And um and in and in the process I keep myself from being a person who would who would feel like they have to act out in a um aggressive way or in a negative way with her. Um, because my buttons are getting pushed so strongly. And instead I say, you know, well, what are, um, how would I prefer to be dealing with this and what feels better and um, what are the positive things that I'm experiencing here and, um, and where is this negative stuff coming from? And, and, you know, starting just to get into police, get in a position more and more where I can see, I, I just love the idea that I'm a hundred percent responsible for everything in my hologram. <laughs> so everything in my life experience is somehow my projection. Yeah. I'm, I'm projecting it out onto the screen of life. You might say, and there there's, this is who shows up and this is what they show up. This is the traits and qualities they show up with. And this is how I react to that. And all of that is my creation. And I, I've talked about this recently in other podcasts, but I'm creating all that for, for a reason. I'm creating it all because it that's what's working for me right now somehow. And then if it's not what I want, then I got to really ask myself, well, so why would I be creating that right now 
it's got to be something there for me to look at, you know? So if I get feeling really bummed by it or really fearful by it or really angry because of it, then those emotions are telling me that source doesn't see it that way. And how does source see it then? You know, because if it's pushing my buttons like that, you know, how would source possibly see this? And so, you know, begin to ask myself those questions and, but I'm feeling my way more than I used to. I'm, I'm instead of, instead of just like trying to logically understand it, I'm, I'm feeling what feels good to me, mm. you know, yeah, that's like a good earlier I was saying, does it feel better for me to, to say to my friend, you know, I've got to go home. Um, I've had enough for the weekend. You know, this is, <laughs> I'm, this is too much intimacy for me. I need a break. Um, or do I say, you know, do I get to the point where I can feel really clearly there, there, I guess there is no reason for me to run away from her. You know, this is actually, there's, there's a level here of tension, but it's, but this is something I want to, I want to look at deeper. I want to feel into this more. And we do a lot of that. You know, we talk together to the point that we, we really feel into what's going on with each of us. And, um, and I like that because love seems to uh, spring from that. Hmm. As as we get deeper into our conversations, I'm sure you've experienced that many times with Louise. You know, mm-hmm. when you have when you have a, a conversation around an issue that is, you know, pushing one or both of your buttons, but you you deal with it in a way where you own the fact that those buttons are getting pushed. Okay, there's anger, there's sadness, whatever there is, but but let's stay in this conversation and find out, you know, where where's the love here? Where's the um Where's the understanding? Where's the compassion? Where's the, am I really listening to her? Am I really, is she really listening to me? Are we, are we really getting each other here? Um, or are we just having a knee jerk reaction because we're afraid or because we're sad or something? I read something interesting yesterday. You know how, how Abraham Hicks puts out these daily quotes, um, mm-hmm. usually drawn from one of the workshops or something like yeah. that. But there was mm-hmm. a really interesting one in yesterday's, and, and I think it kind yeah. of relates to this one. It actually mm-hmm. comes from a very old workshop dating back to August of 1998, which is also the summer that Louise and I were getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. And that the quote says this, make more decisions in every day. Oh, yeah. I love that one. Because a decision is a summoning of life. That's why a little chaos is good for you, because often you don't make a decision until you get yourself in a jam. And then in the middle of the jam, you make a decision, but that decision summons life force. Have you ever been a place where you couldn't quite make up your mind and then you just sort of felt limp? Oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then you Mm -hmm. decide and you felt alive again? We want you to know that you'll never get it done, so don't approach this from, I gotta get on this, because you're not ever going to get it done anyway. And the other thing Mm -hmm. we want you to know is you cannot get it wrong, so make a decision and let it flow. Mm -hmm. And, And... the nice thing about that approach is if you're if you're insisting on making a decision in any situation where you're feeling angst, even if it's the, quote, wrong decision, you'll find out really fast. <laughs> it's not like you have to wait years before you find out, oh, boy, that was the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But when you don't make a decision, when you when you just kind of when, when, when not just you, I'm, I'm not pointing this at you, when when one doesn't make that decision, when one just kind of, you know, gets uh, angsty about it. <laughs> uh, I have so much angst about this. Oh, geez, I don't know what to do. You know, this the situation. You know, is this going to change? Am I going to feel better? Is it about me? Is it about her? What's going on here? 
it's a non-decision mentality when you're when we're in a mentality like that and really it's an opportunity and an invitation to us to make a decision and just try it and see what the decision produces and if you don't like the result then you can make a new decision you don't have to keep sticking to that one bad place you can keep changing by making new decisions Mm. i'm trying to make that a point in my life now just make the decision you know pick something you know flip a coin if you have to but do something make a decision (laughs) and once you make the decision see how it works out for the next two minutes or the next Mm. five minutes or the next 10 minutes and if you don't like it we'll make a new decision Mm. and keep making decisions until you find a path that that is working out better you're like oh yeah i like this one i'm glad i made that decision great now you got your decision the way you want it to be Mm-hmm. The worst mm-hmm. place to be in is where we're just in that, oh, geez, I don't know what to do. What's causing this? I don't understand. Because you never make a decision in that place, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, that's a, it's like one of those really, to me, it's a really deep point about living is this thing about making decisions. And I remember how that quote mm. was so powerful in my life about four years ago when I was going through a ma- the major transition of changing my life of suffering and angst, much more suffering and angst into a life of incredible relief and ease. When I was really diving into the work of Abraham so solidly, this is now almost five years ago, but I was listening to them constantly and I was literally transcribing Abraham segments over and over again into this notebook because each time I would write one out in longhand, I would learn so much about what I really wanted in life and where I've been at and how I've been shooting myself in the foot, so to speak, by the way that I would act and think. And, and that particular quote was huge to me because I've had a problem. I feel my huge amount of my life with decisions. Um, when, when I go into my head and I get too uh, analytical about things and I'm trying to figure it out rather than feel my way through it, um, rather than go into my heart, I go into my head and then it's like I'm weighing pros and cons and, and you can come, I can come to the point where the making a decision seems impossible almost. And, um, and, or I don't even recognize there's a decision to be made. I, it was yeah, funny. That's the bigger risk right there. I, yeah. I mean, there, there are times yeah, when we're not sure what the decision is, but at least we can flip a coin. If you don't know there's a decision to be made, that's a, a tough place to be because you don't realize, Oh, I got to at least flip a coin. I got to do something. When you get back to this question of living fully and loving fully, this is one of the essential building blocks of that way of living is it being good at making decisions or being willing to make decisions. Like you say, even if it you're only, you find out right away, that wasn't the right way to go. Mm. But it, like when I'm working on my career, for example, if I don't, if I want to create a new program, a new project, and I and I get stuck in indecisiveness about what's the next step for me, and I think that you know I've got to um, to wait until this impulse comes from you know on high, so to speak, because we call that on high. But you know when this impulse comes from source that tells me what to do next, um, I find sometimes I can be waiting a really long time. And the thing is that when I just decide I'm just making a decision and I'm going to just do something. And I don't know if this is the perfect impulse, but I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and act and it feels pretty good. And there's a lot of things pointing in this direction. Um, that's when I start to live fully in and, and feel more love because I, I've done something that gets me moving in a certain direction. And later on, I might realize, well, that wasn't quite what I wanted, 
mm-hmm. to create, but at least it now look, I created something. Now I know that led me to the next best thing. And now I'm, I feel like I'm more on the right track. And so, yeah, making, making decisions is a tricky, it's a very important part of the whole thing. And that's what my partner said to me on Sunday when, um, we, we were doing some dancing together and, uh, and she said to me, you know, when you let yourself, um, when we let ourselves, how does she put it? Just be in love. And we say, it feels better to be in love than not to be, you know, then she was, what she was saying is, you know, we can make a decision to say, I'm going to just let go to this love that's here. I'm not going to, you know, um, let go to it a little bit now and then withdraw a little bit later, (laughs) you know, and say, okay, that was good. Yeah. I was very open, but you know, um, I'm still, I'm still afraid. And therefore I'm, I'm going to be more, more restrictive now. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you that same love I gave you, you know, an hour ago. Um, you know, cause I feel, I feel more pulled back now. Right. And, um, that's something that I, that I was going through a lot. And, but I just felt in the moment that she said it, the incredible freedom that there is in, in just giving in to something that feels good and saying, even though this feels scary because I see red flags in this relationship that may come back to haunt me. I'm going to give over to the love I feel here because it feels really good. And, and I, right at this moment, I don't have anything to be afraid of, right? There's nothing happening right now that's pushing my buttons. So why do I have to bring the possibility that my buttons are going to get pushed later into this situation? I can just flow right now with what's feeling good. And, uh, and of course, if you practice law of attraction, you, then you know that, well, one good feeling is going to lead to another one. It's, you know, hold that, stay in that good feeling for 17 seconds. It's going to attract the next best feeling thing. And um, it's a very interesting thing to not, you know, to not sabotage myself. In any, um, <laughs> well, it's to, a good thing to, to learn. It's a good thing not to do. Works. You don't want to sabotage yourself. <laughs> well, but to learn how it works, you know, that, like, because the biggest part of it that I'm learning is that it's okay to hold attention of knowing that something isn't right somewhere in the mix, but I don't have to go in there with a magnifying glass and look for the thing that's not right so that I can focus on it. As if, you know, if I think something's not right and I focus on it, then I'll, I'll make things better. But it's the opposite, according to law of attraction. I go in there and I look for the thing that feels uncomfortable and I, I try to get it out and I ended up feeling more and more uncomfortable the more I look at it, <laughs> the more I'm afraid of it, you know? I think that's where the decision thing comes in. The more decisions that we make, the better off we are. I, I, I think that when we get into that mode where we're trying to just parse it out, we're trying to figure it out and so forth, we're not making mm-hmm. any decisions and so we don't mm-hmm. get any good clues. The moment mm-hmm. that we start making decisions is the moment that the clues become pretty obvious. I mean... Anything that, that happens as a result of a decision we make, it's it's usually not vague. In fact, it's, mm-hmm. I would have – it's possible there might be something vague that comes out, but I would be hard-pressed to come up with an example. Everything I can think of suggests that the moment I make a decision of some kind and act on that decision, the feedback's pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty obvious, and it's not usually something you have to say, well, geez, what really happened right now? Did something actually happen? I'm not really sure if something – you don't go through that. It's like, oh, yeah, something happened. There it is. Yeah. 
And I've made decisions before where I've walked out on my partner in a sort of a really quick, you know, like I got to go because my buttons were getting pushed so much and she kind of knew it, but it was like, I, I had to go and then I had to sort it out on my own. But once I sorted it out, um, I found that the real thing I wanted was to be with her and rather than the thing that pushed me away, you know, mm-hmm. that I decided was a reason to withdraw. Mm-hmm. And, um, and at some point you probably so, come to the conclusion that in some way, and, and this is going to be my phrasing rather than your phrasing, you probably come to the conclusion that in some way that thing that pushed your button is suddenly not so much of a button. And I think that happens through the decision-making process rather than through the analytical process. I think the analytical process actually builds up those those uh, negative consequences and those those you know, difficult situations yeah. and painful. Well, if I leave, whatever I leave on the front burner, so to speak, of my stove is a thing that's going to really be boiling, and I'm going to. That's the thing that I'm cooking, you know. And right. so, if I'm cooking my concern about the red flag, I feel in some way that she responded to me or something i think a trait that she has that bothers me and i put it on the front burner and i focus on it um yeah then it's going to be it's going to force me to make a decision at some point because i'm putting so much focus on it like is this uh is this a make or break aspect of this relationship uh, which you know if it's not resolved then i can't be in this relationship and i found that i can put those things on the back burner rather than just put all this focus on them. And it's sort of like if you have a physical symptom and you're ill and you just focus on how bad your headache is and you just keep focusing on how bad your headache is and how bad your headache is over and over again, sometimes that's not the best, you know, or maybe you could say all the time. All that's the not time, the I would say, yeah. <laughs> place to focus because if instead you said, well, I have a headache, and but, you know, I'm not going to really focus on it. What can I focus? Oh, I think I'm going to watch a movie. And I'm going to take, you know, another Advil and I'm going to just sort of get my focus off my headache and just onto this movie. And I hope it just sort of dissipates. And lots of times it does, you know, get my focus onto something that really is a lot different of a focus. Sometimes I do find that to be a a wonderful way to get rid of symptoms, you know. Um, put it on something that feels better. And that is the bottom line of what is taught in law of attraction. Is, mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, I'm, it's very interesting to, to see what it feels like to always be choosing what feels like fully being engaged in the moment with what I want and who I am. Um, anyway, it's it's yeah. just a topic that I feel it's kind of an endless discussion. Well, yeah. Well, obviously, it's also very big in your life right now. So, you know, with yeah. with topics of that kind, we tend to go around and around and around and around on them. <laughs> That's why why it becomes the endless topic. The funny thing uh-huh. is, it actually isn't endless. It ends when we start taking action. <laughs> then all uh-huh. of a sudden, it becomes a new topic, and 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 it's the new topic is different from the old topic. And yeah. I think that's what Abraham's getting at. I mean, they said it, that, um, that um, a decision is a summoning of life. That's why a little chaos is good for you. So that's the first part about that, making the decision, yeah. right? Yeah. And then later on, they they say, have you ever been in a place where you couldn't make up your mind and you just felt sort of limp? And then you decide and you felt alive again. Well, that's mm-hmm. the process of being in 
an analytical state, trying to find your, you know, which way do I want to go? What's my feeling and so forth? And you take the decisive action and boom, all of a sudden the whole thing is shifted. Mm -hmm. Now we tend to think about it in terms of, well, the problem never really went away, but actually what happened is the the problem changed. The problem changed Mm -hmm. and morphed in some way. Mm -hmm. And when we start noticing that, when we start noticing the morphing, now we're finding our way out. Yeah, and sometimes we look back at the thing that was the problem, and even though we didn't address it head on, we we sort of sidestepped it and went into a better feeling place about some other topic. Right. Um, then sometimes a little while later, we look back, and that thing that was a big monster before, a big monster problem, is no longer there, exactly. uh, or it's it's much smaller. And I think the thing of, of making decisions consistently is actually one of the key cornerstones of having a full life where you're living fully and you're loving fully because in that in that willingness to be engaged in life um, because you make decisions rather than sit around and wonder how can I ever have what I want how will I ever get what I want I mean what can I do Uh, I don't feel like acting I better wait you know instead of just saying well I'm going to try this and then you try that and then it's okay I'm that took me to this place and I'm going to try this. Uh, it's, it doesn't mean you're constantly doing sometimes you, you know, I mean, there's a lot of caution in the world of law of attraction about being a, a doer constantly, but there's also a lot I've noticed that Abraham has said about making those decisions and getting on with it and being in, in your life, you know, living your life out loud rather than, you know, always being too, too careful or, waiting too long or hesitating too long, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that that is a good summary of my own life because so much of what I go through where I'm trying to make that decision, you know, and it mm-hmm. becomes angst and it becomes frustration or anger or fear or whatever else. That's not a positive emotion. That experience is really all about daring to take an inspired action. And, and, mm. and you're right, it doesn't have to be a physical action. It can also be a, a thought action. It can be an emotional action because all those things really qualify as actions. You don't have to get up and take a walk in order to be taking an action. Mm-hmm. So once I look at it that way, then I begin to realize every time that I find myself in that place of not quite daring to take an action, all I'm really doing is setting myself up for more frustration and failure and fear and dread and anxiety and all that other stuff. I'm actually much better off just saying, go boldly, just go, go boldly, mm-hmm. you know, pick something and go with it and just do it, do it like you believe it. Mm-hmm. And when I do that, that becomes the true inspired action because now I'm not overthinking it. Mm-hmm. Overthinking is probably our biggest enemy. <laughs> As Joel has yeah. repeatedly informed me of and told me, like, wow, he's so proud of how much I've gotten to the point where I'm not uh, overthinking stuff anymore. Mm. It's true. I'm not. I'm not mm. thinking of overthinking stuff as much anymore. I'm I'm now mm. taking much more deliberate action. Like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just go. I don't know if that's the right way to go, but I'll find out quickly. <laughs> it's not like yeah. I'm not going to know. <laughs> it, it, it'll inform me very fast whether or not that's the right way to go. And if it's not, I can shift direction. That's the good mm-hmm. news. I can shift direction. I don't, once I make a decision, it's not permanent for, for the rest of existence and all time. Yeah. I can shift it three minutes from now. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. That's power. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, there is a, there's a time for waiting for an impulse and not acting um, because it just doesn't feel right, you know? And then at that time, sometimes we turn our attention towards, you know, um, well, I'm going to go for a walk instead of right now making this decision. And then when I get back from my walk, I'll see how I feel about what I want to do next on my Mm -hmm. project. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I, I do that a lot because I, I guess, I guess it's a somewhat, maybe a lot out of fear, you know, that if I'm, if I act too quickly and I act rashly, I might do the wrong thing. And then I guess I, I learned a lot when I was a kid that, you know, that I had to do everything so perfectly each step of the way that I'm afraid to make mistakes. You know, there's a big part of me that's afraid to make mistakes, but I think that's a, a key part of living fully and living freely is the willingness, like you say, to just make a decision. And if it, it's not ever really a mistake. It's just, it's just a learning experience that you have along the way. Exactly. And uh, only and it's only a mistake. If you judge it, like saying, Oh, I'm bad that I did that, or I'm wrong exactly. or this, this screwed me up. And now I got to undo this thing I did. And, um, right. Now that's the Abraham message, right? You can't get it wrong and you'll never get it done. You can't get yeah. it wrong. means you really can't ever make a mistake. That is something to beat yourself up about. You may make right. it, um, uh, if you take the word literally, mistake means to to miss a take, to take a direction that you really didn't want to take. That's not a, that's mm-hmm. not a flaw. It's just simply, mm-hmm. I don't really like the choice I made. So mm-hmm. I get to make another choice. Mm-hmm. If you look at it that way, now there's no such thing as a mistake anymore. Not in the sense of, oh my God, I made a mistake. Oh, how terrible. I'm so critical of myself because I made this mistake. No, it's mm-hmm. now, oh, that's not where I wanted to go. Well, I'll just turn left instead of going straight. No problem. Yeah. It's like if you're making a movie and you do a, a take, one of the, and the take doesn't work out right, then they do another one because yeah. they had a, mi- a mistake. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're just doing another take. Speaking you're, of, you're doing another take of scenes, yeah. Speaking of, of takes and mistakes, um, I want to take a, a moment here to put a message out that we're putting out with every podcast, which is all of our subscribers, all of our regular listeners, we're asking you to post on your social media channel something about LOAToday.net and use that phrase, LOAToday.net. We are seeing significant increases in listenership, and it's happening in a large part because a small minority of our listeners are doing exactly that. So please take a moment to post because it really is helping more and more people find out about this great daily dose of happy that you can get. And for those of you who are not yet subscribers, just go to the homepage of our website at LOAToday.net and you'll find instructions on how to become a subscriber. It takes a minute and once you do, all the episodes come flowing right to your smartphone where you can join them every single day. And Tom, for somebody who needs a more personal approach, how can they approach you about a little coaching? Well, I like to offer people a free half hour so they can uh, talk with me for half an hour about some situation in their life that they would like to uh, get help with, get coaching about. And uh, so I offer a free half hour. If they, if you go to my website, which is called com, with the three words, com, and there's a place there in the menu, you can sign up for the free half hour. And then from that, you could decide if you wanted to do further coaching with me. Sounds great. Tom, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to talking to you on Friday. Yeah, we'll see you then. We'll have a All great right. week. And we'll see you as well next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.